All right, good morning, church. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16 as we continue today. First of all, let me say um, right after this service this morning, we are having a starting point lunch. Uh, basically, that's just a venue for those fairly new to Bannockburn. If you haven't been to a starting point, we welcome you and actually would love to have you at a starting point. It's an opportunity for us to just spend some time getting to know you as a person who's new to Bannockburn, but also you getting to know us. Um, it's also a pathway for those exploring membership or becoming a part of the family at Bannockburn. This lunch is for that as well. Um, I know that you, you could attend a church for a year and not really know everything you probably need to know to whether you need to become a part of that church or not. But we do it all in one setting, in that lunch. And so we, we uh, let you know everything that's going on at Bannockburn and who we are. Um, and so it just provides us a personal avenue to care for you, the way the church is called to. So we hope that if you're here and you haven't come to Starting Point, you're fairly new to Bannockburn, you're exploring, uh, we would love to have you come to the lunch. It's a free lunch. So if you are here today, you didn't have to register. Um, we actually do have child care. Um, if you have kids over in the kids' ministry, just go get your kids after the service, and you can come right back here in the service. Um, they'll actually tell you what to do with your kids. By the way, your kids will go into another thing and they'll be fed as well. But just come right back here in this service and come right down here down front. We're going to get started right here. They're going to set up tables in the foyer. We'll have a lunch right here. But if you uh, want to come to Starting Point, just do that after this service today. We would love to have you. Um, also, uh, two opportunities I want you to know about on this campus for prayer. Some of you are seeing Asbury. Some of you are seeing, uh, could the Lord be doing something a lot of people believe that this is a really, really unique move of the Lord in our country, and it's just the beginning of it. Uh, so I believe that that could very well be the case. Um, if you're looking for opportunities to lean into that here, there are two opportunities I want you to know about. One is every Sunday morning at 8.15, there's a group of men, our, our deacons, and any brother really that wants to come, uh, anybody that wants to come can come at 8.15, and they are praying for God to move in that way on our country, in our, in our church, in our hearts. At 8.15, on the fourth floor in the conference room, and I have a feeling they're going to have to move it out of that conference room because there's not going to be any room in that little bitty space. But that's where they're meeting right now. If you'd like to come to that, they would welcome you and love to, to have you just to pray and ask God to send that revival. They're meeting at 8.15 on Sunday mornings. Also, the prayer team decided this past week we want to meet on Wednesday nights at 5 o'clock. So if you're coming to a class on this campus or coming to anything, 5 o'clock in this room, we're going to have prayer. And that could mean anything. If you need prayer for healing, you need prayer for a situation, uh, you want to come to pray, and you want to experience God move, we're going to have worship and praise and prayer and all of that in a meeting on Wednesday night. It's going to be at 5 o'clock. They, it meets this. It starts this Wednesday. We would love to have you. And in the coming weeks, one of those Wednesday nights is going to be full-on worship, service, prayer, and everything. We're, we're working on the details of that. We'll give you more information about that. But 8.15 on Sunday morning and 5 o'clock this Wednesday. Um, the other thing is Lent has begun this past Wednesday. And some of you, if you're just getting reminded of that and you feel like God doesn't love you anymore, it's okay. Uh, you forgot, it's all right. But right now, uh, we're in Lent. We're about three days in, and I hope that you are going really well with that. If you have taken on a fast, you're probably struggling, and you're really grateful that Sunday is a break for you. If you're like my son, my son said, uh, Dad, I decided to give up sugar and reduce it down to 100 grams of sugar per day. <laughs> and he's counting his grams of sugar. And uh, he said to me yesterday, he said, Dad, um, 
I, I didn't realize like how much I need lots and lots of sugar. Uh, he realizes like his body. And I said, Will, this is an opportunity for you to, re- to, to, to have an exercise in who is the master of your life. Will your flesh master you? Or will the Lord Jesus by his spirit master you as he is a master, you bring your flesh into submission. So that's the exercise of fasting. And so if it's a struggle for you, if you've you've said no to something and now you're really feeling your flesh, your body cry out for it, um, that's, you're entering into that exercise. It's an exercise. Yeah, just like a treadmill. Um, It's just a natural exercise of a spiritual reality. And so I hope you're enjoying that. And if you're in life by the spirit, you should have uh, had that yesterday, and you'll start again tomorrow. <coughs> but don't forget about that. I think they have a, a Theo, you want to join our, uh, our Lent fasting plan, you can go there and get the download the devotional and everything, okay? But stay with it. Stay with it. It's an exercise. And so, yeah, it's going to hurt a little. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel hard. Um, and that's what it's supposed to do. But there's a reward, amen? There's a reward. It's not in vain. Uh, so stay with it. So today we're going to look at John chapter 15 and continue in our series on Pentecost. And what I'm trying to do is build last week and this week a biblical structure for the doctrine of the Holy Spirit from the text of Scripture in your heart. Because after this week we're going to begin to apply how do I experience the Holy Spirit. So these first two weeks is really operating on this is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and then the next Several weeks, we're going to be, four weeks, we're going to be looking at, well, how do I posture my life in a way that experiences his reality? Um, and that'll be starting next week. But this week, let's continue in that structure. So I need you to see the visual and, um, and stay with me this morning. John chapter 15, verse 26, I'm going to go to 16, verse 15, and then I'm going to read from Acts 2, and you'll see why when I read it all together, okay? Je- Jesus is talking to the disciples in the upper room, Last Supper final words, so to speak, before the cross. And here is what he says. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Not that. (laughs) Sorry for interrupting God's word. I have no idea what that is either. It's something that comes on and off every once in a while. Let's just deal with it and put it behind us. Is that good? If it keeps coming on and off, we'll just ignore it. All right. Some machine up there. All right. Picking back up. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we just commit this time to you. And uh, Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus, you have given us your spirit. Holy Spirit, allow us to see in your word the glory of Jesus. And as you do, whatever that means for us, give us courage to follow you. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. In our text, we hear Jesus giving us a glimpse of what we can expect when the Spirit, and we talked about last week, when we talk about the counselor, the advocate, the helper, depending on your translation, they use different words because here's the picture. There's an essence of what the Greek term means, and we have to use all of these terms to help you sort of know what this is. Does that make sense? So none of them do justice to the actual term, uh, but we talked about that last week, that this counselor, advocate, helper will come and, and he'll do certain things and he'll work in certain ways. And Jesus gives us glimpses of what that's going to look like, what the Spirit does. When he comes, this is what he'll do. This is what it'll look like. He's giving descriptions. And then we see in Acts 2, the day when he actually came, and we see this dynamic, fiery, powerful, beautiful uh, expression of the Spirit's presence and how He moves and works and what He does. And so what I want to do is give you three things about when the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, these three things I want to highlight from the text and then we'll be, we'll be done. The first thing is when the Spirit comes, we are better off. Jesus says, He tells His disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. In other words, you will be in a better situation with me and with God if I'm not here. Now, that probably didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to you either, right? Uh, What leader of a movement is better off without him leading? Uh, That doesn't make any sense, right? But yet Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Um, The advantage is manifold, as we'll see play out in the New Testament and in Acts. Um, but we will see that there is a real advantage. I'm going to take a group of people to Israel, and we are going to walk in the places where Jesus walked in June. And there's many places, from the place where he was born, Nazareth, where he grew up, Galilee, where he did all of his healing ministry and established his ministry, all the way back to Jerusalem, where there's a thousand locations that we're going to look at and what took place in that city, all over the place. Um, We're going to look at places, but there's a few places along the way that we're going to stop. 
and we're going to get around uh, about a 10 square foot space. And it is certain Jesus' sandals touch these stones. And you get there and you see it and you hear that. And it's a very powerful experience and an emotional experience because you begin to be overwhelmed with the reality of the person of Jesus and where he lived and what he saw and where he was. And you often worship in that moment. And this is no, uh, no lessening of the trip for you guys who are going with me. But do you know what Jesus is saying? When you have the Spirit, you have me in a more intimate way than that. Than if you actually had me in my body and you could touch my clothes and listen to my mouth speak. You will have a greater advantage and more when my Spirit comes to you. I, you will have me better than you ever could if I were in my body, in the bodily form. Now, it was important that Jesus came in his body because he had to satisfy the requirements of God on the behalf of humanity as a human. He had to live the perfect life, the life we should have lived. He had to suffer and die an atoning death and receive the wrath of God on behalf of sinners and pay the price for sinners and from a just and holy God. And he did all of that on a cross. And he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, our worst enemy, all for us. He had to, in his body, purchase everything for our redemption, and he did it. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father. All of that had to happen, but now, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come because I am done with my work. It's finished. I'm at the right hand of the Father. Now, everything I purchased with my life, suffering, death, and resurrection, the Spirit is going to take from that bucket, and he's going to bring it to your soul. So that you can have reconciliation with God. You can feel and have the mind of Christ. You can literally feel him thinking and, and feeling and loving inside you. You can feel his intimate presence, the face of God in you. And man, if you have hold of that, what you have in the Holy Spirit, that's what he wants us to see. That when the Spirit comes, we will be better off. And we are. We have actually Jesus. Jesus says, the Spirit will come to you. And then in another place he says, I will come to you. And then he says, the Father and me will come to you. And he uses all this language and you're going, which one is it? You know, and I salt your intelligence a little bit by saying, yeah, that's the Trinitarian doctrine is that Jesus is with us. Paul even referred to him as the Spirit of Jesus. In Acts 17, the same thing, the Spirit of Jesus. The person of Jesus in Holy Spirit form is within us. And he and we have the mind of Christ. We have him dwelling within us. And we have that kind of intimacy with God, we as a people. But secondly, we're more effective. It's not that we're just better off. Now we're more effective. Jesus says two entities will bear witness of me. And Jesus is talking here. He says two, two witnesses. That you, the disciples, or we could say the church, will bear witness of Jesus. But then he actually says the Spirit will bear witness. Now I insult your intelligence again by asking another question. Which is it? Who will bear witness? Is it the church or is it the spirit? Well, let me be careful here. Jesus is not saying, oh yeah, you'll have the church witness. And then you'll have the spirit witness. And maybe occasionally those things will overlap. Nope. The church witness has the spirit's witness with it. 
When the church declares Christ, the Spirit is declaring Christ in it. It's not just human communication. It is human communication, but there is a spiritual declaration happening in the midst of it. They are not separate. They are always together. And God is doing, doing that kind of work, okay? So the only time I can see that the Spirit of God works in salvation in a person's life apart from the witness of the church, there's really only one biblical account that I can think of that, where this happened, and that's the conversion of Paul. So Paul's on his way to Damascus, and the, and the Lord just lands on him. And he saw the visible bodily Christ there. Um, is converted. But what just happened to Paul? Paul witnessed the stoning of Stephen, the witness of his church. He was preaching the gospel while he was dying, the, the, the express verbal witness of Christ while he's dying. Paul's holding clothes, listening to the man die and preach Jesus. And then he goes to kill more Christians. And on the way, he, God lands on him. And Jesus says to him, what? You're persecuting me. Well, Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And he's like, wait, I don't know. I, I don't even know who you are. I, like, I never even touched you, you know? And Jesus is saying, you are persecuting me. You're torturing me. What's he doing? He's torturing his church. His church has his spirit. Jesus is being tortured by this man because Jesus is with his people. There is intimate, strong commitment of the Holy Spirit to be with his church and not work outside of his church. So that's one other essence. And then you have what happens to Paul? Paul goes blind. And then what has to happen for him to get his sight? He goes on into Damascus, and then God goes to Ananias and says, Ananias, come over here. I need you to pr uh, pray for this guy who's been killing Christians. And, and you can imagine Ananias is going, okay, wait a minute, Lord. Like, can you get somebody else? Like, I heard this man's killing everybody. That's what he says. Well, so Ananias comes, lays his hands on him, and prays for him. And only then, only then, scales fall, something like scales fall from Paul's eyes, and he can see. Why would God go through all this effort? Because he is going to honor his church. There is no plan B. The Holy Spirit will declare and testify of Jesus through his people and not apart from his people. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? All right, well, let's just stay there. That's something, that's a structure that needs to be in place. All right, um, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but let me, let me just give you a taste he says when he comes, so when the Spirit comes to the church and it goes through the church, he is going to declare and he's going to pray. What is that initial work he's going to do in the hearts of people? It says that he will do this. Jesus said he will convict the world in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Some translations say guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is basically the Holy Spirit is going to show you how deep a sinner you are, how depraved you are, how much you deserve the just wrath of God, and that you are guilty, guilty, guilty. And he will not stop until you have come to the place where you acknowledge that you are absolutely depraved, you have nothing to offer God as far as righteousness is concerned, it's only filthy rags, and that you are a deep, dark sinner, and that God, you deserve God's wrath. That's the Holy Spirit's initial work in your heart. You say, why is that necessary? Why didn't he just talk about Jesus? Okay, so let me go to this. Let's just say you're going to a, a, a location this week, and to go into this building, you've got to go up a short flight of stairs, okay? And you're walking up to the stairs, and someone comes along you, and they grab your arm, and they grab your hand, and go, here, let me help you up those stairs. And for most of us in the room, 
you would kind of think that's foolish. You're walking up to the steps and you're like, what is this guy up to? Why is he doing this? It would make you puzzled. It would make you think, am I on camera? It would, you would say it's foolish. This is foolishness. And you would think, I don't need help. Thank you. You're so odd and out of place. It just doesn't seem right, right? So here's the principle. It's really hard to help someone who doesn't think they need help. You with me? The Holy Spirit first has to totally convince us that we have to be saved, not helped. You have to be saved from the evil wretch that you are. And until you get to that place, you're not going to consider the foolishness of the cross. Uh, Paul even says, you'll consider it foolish. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the Spirit, do not things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them what? Foolish. A person asked, saying they're going to help me up the stairs. Like, this is ridiculous. And cannot understand them. They want to know, what is this all about? It sounds so weird. I can't, they, they don't know. They don't know. Well, how do they know? The Spirit of God has to show them. Now, this can happen in a moment. And it can happen over years. Everybody's different on this. But the Spirit does a convincing courtroom work in the heart of a person that he is approaching to save. When he approaches, he's showing you through pulses, constant pulses of saying things to you over and over, making you feel them, helping you understand that you don't even meet your own standards of right and wrong in your heart. That, that thing that you're gagging way down inside your heart that you know you're carrying the shame and guilt and you know you're not the person you ought to be. Maybe you're even a hypocrite and you know it good and well down in there and you're just stuffing it because you don't want to be troubled by it and it's driving you crazy and you just want to stuff it and you want to gag it and you want to ignore it and pretend it's not real. It's just made up in your own mind and you keep doing that and the Holy Spirit keeps on gagging and keeps on gagging until you break. And when you break and you say, I agree with the Holy Spirit, I agree with God, I agree with His Word, I am a wretch. I don't meet my own standards, and my own standards aren't even His standards. I am not the person I ought to be. God, forgive me. In fact, I'm so lost, I have nothing to offer in front of I couldn't even clean up my life if I wanted to. I am lost. And when you come to that place, you can thank the Holy Spirit of God. Because he has worked in your heart and brought that convincing work so that you're down and you go, I am hopeless, I am helpless, I am lost. And then he goes, guess what? There's a Savior for people like you and only people like you. He did everything that you're supposed to do. He died for everything that you did. And everything that he purchased, I'm giving to you as a gift. Will you receive it? And you receive it, and you receive the life of God. You receive reconciliation with God. You receive the power of God. You are born again. We're going to talk about that next week. And I do need to share one more thing. Okay, hang on. I want to show you something here. Moses said, show me your glory. When you pray, show me your glory. Let me tell you how God is showing us his glory. Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I can't show you my glory. It will kill you. 
You can't t- you contain it. It'll, it'll evaporate you as a sinner. So he's like, I'm not going to do that, but I will show you a glimpse of my glory, a portion of it. And so I hit him in the rock, and he said, I'll pass by before you so that you can see a little, a little, whatever you can handle. And so he did this, which is a very mystical and powerful moment for Moses. But it says this in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the declaration of God in his glory. Moses sees it, and what does he do in verse 8? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. What is Moses worshipping? The glory of God. What is the glory of God? Let me say this real quick. God says, I am gracious and merciful. And then he says, I will by no means clear any guilty criminal who has sinned against me. You have to say, which is it? How many of you would have a judge in Austin tell people and be, they're gracious and merciful, and every time they have somebody, they go, I, just, I know you're sorry, just don't do it again, all right? I got to use a southern accent for it. You know? What, how many of you would vote for that judge, right? No, you didn't put him on the bench. He's not a good judge. He's a corrupt judge. He's supposed to net out justice. And God says, I will by no means clear the guilty. I will execute justice to the T. Everything a sinner deserves will get it. And yet, I'm gracious, abounding in steadfast love and mercy. Which is it? Because to us, for God to be just, he has to give up his mercy. But for him to be merciful, he has to give up his justice. Amen? Which is it? This is the glory of God. Let you see it. Will you see it? Will you see it? In the person of Jesus, God is just and justifier of sinners. In the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us what? What Moses saw. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In his person, he received the full wrath of God. God was completely just, by no means clear the guilty, poured out his wrath on his own son for sinners, and so then he can have total mercy abounding in love and faithfulness to any in Christ do you see the face of Jesus do you see the glory of Jesus do you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus if you do thank the Holy Spirit he has allowed us to see it he's here he's in you receive him follow him walk with him amen But lastly, we are unstoppable. 
Jesus said the days will come when they'll kill you thinking that they're doing God a service by killing you. This is definitely a reference to Paul. The people are going to resist this move. There are authorities and powers going to take the sword and end this whole move because it's so frustrating. And they're going to think that they're doing a good thing for society when they kill you. And by the way, Americans, we're not far. We are now considered bad for our society in the positions we take that are anti many of the positions our culture values. We are now in that kind of situation, which is just a matter of time where they think they've got to reduce us to nothing because we're harmful. Jesus says, yeah, they're going to think they're harmful and they're going to think they're doing good in the world by trying to get rid of you. That's what they're going to be operating off of. But Jesus says, you're only going to fan the flame and spread it faster and further when you try to stamp this thing out. Why? Because it's not man. It's the supernatural power and work of the Holy Spirit in people of the church. You can't stop it. You can kill their bodies, but then that advances the kingdom even faster and further. You can't stop it. So a couple questions in Acts 2. We see in Acts 2, he comes, and this beautiful description. The question is, why these few people first? Why these few people? There were a lot of people. The Holy Spirit could have fell on the whole city. Why didn't he fall on the whole city? Think about that with me for just a second. Why didn't he fall on everybody that called themselves a follower of Jesus? Because there were more than just in that upper room. He just fell on them. Why not fall on the whole world? Why do it all at once? Just do it all at once. Like, don't start there and move to them and then go. Just go all at once, Lord, right? Why wouldn't you do that? This tells us something about him and his commitments and his strategy and the way he works. The answer is that the Holy Spirit is going to honor the leadership of this church movement. And he's going to start with a few people, and he's going to move out to more. And as they come into his family, he fills them and uses them to declare. And then he continues to do this unfolding wave of domino work. It starts small, and it moves all. Jesus described the kingdom like this many times in the Gospels and his teaching, that this starts small like a seed, and then it just goes and it advances. And to today, a third of the earth says Jesus is Lord. Started in a room, and today, a third of the earth, Jesus is Lord. Why these few people? The Holy Spirit is committed to his church. He will not work without us. We are nothing without him, amen? But he has decided to do nothing without us, amen? He will use the de declaration of the gospel from his church to be the vehicle by which he works in the hearts of people in the earth. And that's how it spreads, like a vine. Jesus even says the vine and the branches, John 15, John 17. All the vine and the branches talk is all about this idea of the gospel starting in a, in a pocket and moving out through people. Why tongues of fire? Why tongues? Let's just say why tongues. Well, tongues is languages, and I know there's another segment in the New Testament that we talk about prayer languages and all that kind of stuff. Of course, I'm not addressing that today. But what's this whole upper room tongues thing that Peter experienced when he goes out and he preaches the, the, the message of Pentecost? He, Pentecost, all the people, all the Jews from all over the world are there, and they all speak different languages. They brought languages with them, and he preaches one message 
with one language and they all heard in their own language. What is that all about? Well, the whole deal about that is that the mission of the gospel from the very get-go is intended to go to every nation, tribe, language, and people. It starts in a room, but it goes to every single language on the earth. Everything that was divided up and scattered in Babel, the Spirit comes to go to all of them with the gospel, and it starts in that upper room. Okay? So that's why tongues. By the way, let me say something real fast. We might be experiencing a revival at Asbury and the beginnings of it. And you see how the Spirit works sometimes. It's, it starts small and it kind of moves out and revives. Um, did you know we have an event coming up where people from all over the country and all over the world are about to come into Austin? And they may even speak different languages. I don't know. But they come in from all over the world right here to Austin. And right in the middle of it called South by Southwest... The whole South by Southwest marketing campaign, you know what they're promoting? One of the events at South by Southwest is going to be a gospel presentation. I'm dead serious. It's in their marketing campaign. And it's being led, and Pastor Casey and I have been working with the team from Lewis Palau Evangelistic Ministry. It's called South by Southwest Sunday Service. It's going to be on a Sunday at a venue. What, what's the barbecue place? Stubbs. Okay, good. Some of y'all know Stubbs. All, there. See, y'all know what it is. All right. I'll just stop talking. Just look at that. Y'all see that? So do I. All right, let's move on. Uh, but Lecrae is going to be there, but the gospel is going to be shared to all kinds, all kinds of uh, industries and things like that. But people who are, are uh, belong to Christ are going to be just declaring the gospel. And it's in a moment and I'm like, wow, this looks interesting. This whole thing's been put together. You might want to be a part of that. Uh, Think about joining it, maybe uh, getting a part, looking that up and being a part of that that morning. Go get your tickets or invite a friend or go pray or invite, go down on the street and invite people to come into it. I think all that would be great. Okay, why tongues of fire? Last point, I promise, and I'm done. Why fire? Why the illustration of tongues speaking fire? It's telling us that the way the Holy Spirit's going to work is by the proclamation of the church declaring with their tongue the message of Jesus, it is going to spread like a fire. This is not a fire of destruction. This is a fire of life regenerating power coming to the hearts and souls of men. Fire, how does fire work? Well, fire starts small, right? It only takes a spark, right? Uh, Y'all, you grew up in the 80s, amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about, sitting around a campfire? Yeah, it does, it only takes a spark, right? Well, a spark, can lead to a leaf, to a pile of leaves, to trees and bushes, to houses and entire, entire states, right? It starts small. Fire has to be fueled by something, and then it gets consumed by it, and it grows, and then it consumes another thing, and then the other thing that gets consumed by it is fuel for it, and it increases, and it keeps going. The, the, the fire analogy here is that the gospel is going to have that kind of power in the world. It's a weak gospel. It doesn't make sense. It's based on the testimony of women. In the first century, women couldn't even testify in court. This is not like impressive, political, powerful influence. This is like a weak message. The gospel, uh, the leader died. He was executed uh, between two thieves. Uh, there's, there's just nothing to it. All the people that followed them were all either uh, illiterate fishermen, uh, tax collectors who were tossed aside with no political power. Nobody wants them in the middle of society. He used all the weak things of the world to shame the wise. And the gospel message is going to go out and the Holy Spirit is going to set it on fire. 
He's going to set it on fire in the hearts of people. He's going to bring them to the end of themselves, show them Jesus and the glory of Jesus. He's going to captivate them and save them and change them. And then they're going to use their lips. And he's going to use their lips. And when they speak, he fires that. And another person catches fire. And it is going to spread like that. And today, a third of the earth says Jesus is Lord. It is unstoppable. And there's no explanation for it. It shouldn't have made it out of that room given the people that were there. It shouldn't have made it out of Jerusalem. And yet by the third century, Constantine comes on, converts to Christianity. Now it's the favored religion of the whole Roman Empire in just a few hundred years. Do you know there's millions of movements that happen in a room like that with a group of people radically ready to give their lives for their movement? And you don't know anything about them. Why? Because they're gone. That happens all the time third of the earth with that message of foolishness says Jesus is Lord how do you explain that and I would tell you the only explanation is this divine power of the Holy Spirit some of you may even feel that fire in your heart as I'm speaking and the need for Jesus and you can come to him today Respond to the Holy Spirit. But Bannockburn, I want you to think about this. Next week we're going to get a little bit more into that. But I want you to think about this. The Spirit says, I will use you. But then he asks a question, will you trust me? Because you think I'm not influential. I don't know have the words. I don't know what to say. They would never hear this. Maybe somebody else should do it. And he says, you're the very person I love to use. Because I love weakness. Because I like to show my power and my glory through your weak, pitiful little presentation and set a heart on fire. I love to work like that. Will you trust me, says the Holy Spirit to his church? I will use you. I'm committed to you. Will you trust me? Will you stand in a place and with gentleness and love and respect have a conversation with someone and just talk about the glory of Christ, what he's done in your life? Will you just have that conversation will you just serve another human being and watch me through you you know that's what life's all about that's what life's all about when you get to the end of your life if you ain't about that you didn't live because God wants to use you and the spirit of God is saying trust me I will use you will you trust me will you just this week even be aware of the opportunities all around you and step into that moment and don't be afraid step in and speak I'm not saying hit them in the face with a Bible. Don't you dare. Don't be ugly and don't be a jerk. Be sweet, be gentle and loving, but go there. Go there and see if the Holy Spirit will come through on what he has said. Because he might. And it might be under the radar. You may not see it on their face. You may not see it. You may not see anything. And all of a sudden a seed got planted and the Holy Spirit got it. And he will work in their heart and bring them to the end of themselves and bring them to Christ at the cross and save their soul and then use them. That's how he works. Amen. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, we do. We give space for you, O Holy Spirit. You love to glorify the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to the glory of the Father. We are your people. Use us for your glory. We will trust you. And we will speak and we'll be faithful in moments where we feel that you have led us to be faithful, to speak, to share, 
to be a friend, to serve, whatever that might be. Let us represent you well. And as we do, set fire to the hearts of Austin, Texas. Start a fire in a very small place and go to a very big place. Do a great work of revival across our land, O oh God. Start with weak people, non-influential people, not the eloquent, powerful influencers. The weak person, use that little testimony, use that little conversation and start a massive blaze of life-giving power across our country. Use us, Lord. Use us. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand with me all across the room and let's just uh, sing to the Lord and let's do business. Mm-hmm.